hear the word of the Lord this morning. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in, ju- in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Lauren and Jackson, for leading us and for having a really tall music stand for a really short guy like myself. I appreciate that. Humbling me before I get started here. Well, peace be with you. My name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. One of the good joys uh, that I get to share um, is receiving text messages from some of you right before I go up to preach. Um, And some of them are really encouraging. So I just wanted to share this one with you. Uh, This was shared by one of our members who I will not name, just happens to be a pediatrician here in town, who said... Three things Christ promises he will never do. He won't leave you brokenhearted, Psalm 147. He won't reject you, John 6. And he won't leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13. So in essence, Jesus is never going to give you up. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to run around and desert you. Amen? Amen. That's a good word from the Lord. That is true. That is funny. It's also true. Um, A good word from the Lord, a good promise. Another promise Jesus gives you this morning um, and that you may need. I needed that word. I don't know about you this week. Um, I didn't realize the emotional toll that this last week took on me. Um, I wasn't even, I thought, even emotionally invested in it. Um, But it did take a toll on me. The information overload just wiped me out. I don't know if you felt it in your body or you slept late or you just were anxious or stressed. Another promise that Jesus gives you and he gives to me, gives to all of us, is come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's light. That's the invitation Jesus gives us this morning. Jesus says that we're able to accept that invitation and receive that rest because he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is able to give you rest because Jesus has rest to give. I don't know if you have rest to give this morning. Sometimes I feel like I don't have rest to give. Sometimes I feel like 2020 has just taken all my rest away. Okay. You see a lot of pre 2020 hashtag too blessed to be stressed. You don't see that a lot in 2020. 2020 just so happens to be in God's providence, the year that this church was praying fervently for renewal that flows from rest we were, we were praying for it, we're longing for it, we're desiring for it. We know that we can't muster up renewal on our own. It's not something that we can do on our own. So we were praying for it. 
And it feels like right now we need it more than ever. Amen? Anybody feel like they need renewal this morning? I sure do. That's why we're in this series, God's Heart for Renewal. Uh, Jeremy's done such a good job in these first couple weeks we've been in it, showing God's heart for renewal and our need for it. God's heart for renewal. He desires to make all things new. He's in that process. And you and I have a deep need for renewal, obviously. Now we need to ask ourselves this week, what does that look like on a personal, practical level? We need to bring it down to the dirt. So let me pray for us, um, and then we'll jump into Psalm 1. Father in heaven, there is really um, nothing we can bring to you this morning other than our need. We have a deep need for your presence in our lives. We are, your scripture says, as dry and barren desert apart from you. Lord, we trust that your word is as it says it is. It is life-giving water. Lord, would you put in us a heart and a spirit that pants for you as a deer pants for water. I pray that this morning as we open your word that you would shine the light into our minds to understand it, uh, to cut us deep where we need to be cut, to put us back together where we're broken, to help us to see Jesus for the glorious and risen and powerful Savior, brother, and friend that he is. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 1 opens with a promise. Psalm 1 opens with the words, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one. Biblically, what does it mean to be blessed or blessed? Biblically, what that means is this idea of total fulfillment, soul satisfaction, complete wellness and wholeness. Some translations say happy is the one. Numbers 6, you may be familiar with this, this Old Testament blessing that says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. What, is, what does it mean to be blessed? It means that the Lord's face is shining upon you. He's, he's gracious to, toward you. He's turned his face toward you. He's giving you peace, shalom. That's what it means to be blessed. And so this verse 1 of Psalm 1 begins with this promise that blessedness is going to come to the one. The one who does what? How does that work? How do we get blessedness? You see, this idea of renewal is tied really closely to the concept of blessedness. And it ties itself together in your heart and in my heart. And I want to show us that from three things in Psalm 1 this morning. In the spirit of Pastor Jeremy, I'm going to give you some alliterated sermon points, all with a P, okay? You ready? The picture of renewal, the pathway of renewal, and the posture of renewal. And then we'll get practical and we'll talk about the promise. But You don't have to write that down. Okay, so the picture of renewal. 
The picture of renewal, the, the best way, really, to communicate something, at least in my mind, is to show me a picture. Anybody ever been to Ikea? You buy a piece of Ikea furniture, what do you get? You get home, you get a manual, you don't get words, you get pictures, because pictures make sense to dummies like me. And so Psalm 1 gives us a picture of renewal. And in this picture, we see the blessed man experiencing renewal that flows out of certain actions. It flows out and is a result of this man living out the word of God that we see in verses 1 and 2. And actually, it's really similar to what we just covered in the book of James. We just wrapped up a sermon series in the book of James. And James, if you remember, chapter 1, verse 25, James says this. He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, what happens? They will be blessed in whatever they do. Sounds very similar to Psalm one here. So here's the picture of renewal. Blessed is the man. He is like a tree. He's like a tree. The blessed one, man or woman, is like a tree. How is he like a tree? Check this out. The blessed man has stability. He's planted. He has vitality because he's by streams of water. He has productivity. He's bearing fruit. He has durability because his leaves don't wither. He's evergreen. And he has prosperity in all that he does. So the blessed man has stability. He has vitality. He has productivity. He has durability. He has prosperity. And what does that look like? Just to sum that whole picture up, of this tree in Psalm 1, I think you can really capture it with this concept of stability with vitality. Stability with vitality. I think that's the essence, and I think actually that's the product of God's renewing work in our lives, is he comes alongside us, he gives us stability with vitality. Stability because, like we said, the tree is planted securely, it's healthy, it's rooted It's not going to be tossed around by the wind or the circumstances. And it's also not dependent on outside sources like rain necessarily because it's planted by streams of water. It's not like a normal tree that if it's really hot and there's a drought is going to shrivel up and die. That's not this tree. This tree is planted next to a stream. That means when the heat comes and the elements come, It's going to be stable. And hear this. Meditation, according to Psalm 1, gives you direct access to something that makes you absolutely stable. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree. Meditation gives you direct access to something that makes you absolutely stable. Elizabeth Elliot, great missionary and author, really faithful woman, put it this way. She said, joy is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. 
If you want to have joy in your life, don't try to remove all the obstacles and, and try and get the absence of trouble completely out of your life because that's never going to happen. You're never really going to have joy. You're just going to be frustrated. She says joy is actually the presence of God. And that goes along with what Psalm 1 is saying here. It doesn't matter what's in the air. Circumstances don't matter. Meditation gets you in contact with the water, gets you in contact with the stream of living water. When all other waters dry up, there's one person who's blessed, and that's the person who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on that law day and night. I don't know where you live in Colombia. I live in a really young neighborhood, so there's not a lot of trees around my house that are super rooted. They look pretty young, pretty fragile, actually. And there was a tree that died in my yard last year in my backyard, and I literally just went out there and rocked it back and forth a couple times and pulled it out. I mean, it was like eight feet tall, and I could just rip it out. I'm not a big guy, but I mean, it, didn't, it wasn't rooted. It was dead. It wasn't next to stream, but big tree. Come on, you've been to big tree? That's a glorious tree. That tree can get struck by lightning, and it's okay. Big tree is rooted. But it also, it also has vitality. Psalm 1 says it has fruit. It produces fruit in its season. Its leaves don't wither. And it's prosperous. The psalmist says that the one who says no to the world, which we're going to look at in verse 1, and says yes to God's word, he delights in it, he meditates on it, is the one who's going to live rooted, he's going to live lively. And that's a picture of renewal. Do you want to live rooted, where you're not blown around by the circumstances of your life? Do you want to actually experience life flowing through you from the presence of God and the power of God? The psalmist says, this is what you have to do. You have to delight in the law of the Lord. You have to meditate on it day and night. But that's not the whole picture. That's not the whole picture. Look at verse 4. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, the blessed man is like a tree. He gets multiple verses. Big explanation. The chaff get like one line because they're chaff. They're forgettable. Chaff is the, the husk of the grain of wheat. It's lifeless. It's worthless. It's lightweight. There's no substance. What they do is they put the wheat on the floor and have the horses or donkeys or whatever. They just tread all over it, and it separates the wheat from the chaff. And then you take a shovel, and you pick it up. And chaff is so lightweight, they just flip it up in the air. The grain falls back down to the ground, and the wind takes the chaff away. Psalm 1 says that the wicked person is like chaff. There's no stability. There's no vitality. There's no substance in this person. They're for, you can forget about them. Chaff, that is not the picture of renewal. The tree planted by streams of water, God says, is the picture of renewal. Its leaves don't wither. Whatever it does is beautiful. It gives fruit. It gives shade. It gives life. It inspires Okay, so that's the picture of renewal. Great. How do we get there? How do you experience renewal? Second point, the pathway of renewal. There's two ways I think we see here in Psalm 1. One of them's negative and one of them's positive. Pathways to renewal. The first one, bad news first, right? The first is the negative. 
Look at verse 1. Avoid what is opposed to God. Okay? Just avoid what is opposed to God. Verse 1 gives us this progression, and I think it's just realistic. This is how life works. He said, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see the progression? First we walk, and then we stand, and then we sit. Okay? There's a walking in the council. There's a thinking that goes on in your head that informs the way you behave, which is standing in the way. And then it also creates in you this sense of identity. So I'm thinking this way, I'm behaving this way, and with these people, I'm thinking with these people, I'm behaving with these people, and all of a sudden you're identifying with them and you're stuck. You're sitting in the seat of scoffers. You're taking up permanent residence with evil, the psalmist says. That's the order. And it's not always obvious that you're going that direction, is it? It's, 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 it's usually gradual. It's not obvious. It doesn't happen all at once. Most of the time it happens and you don't even realize it's happening. So we got to be careful. We've got to be careful. Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16 warns us, says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's not a pleasant thing to talk about. We don't like to think of ourselves living in days that are evil, but the Bible is clear. The days are evil. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What we allow into our lives, whether that be by relationship or by influence or by ideology, will influence your thinking and make a huge difference on whether or not you experience renewal in your life or not. Let me say that again. What we allow into our lives makes a huge difference in whether you experience renewal or not. One of the weirdest things I think about watching sports these days, which I love, I'm glad we got sports up and running in 2020. I feel like we needed it. I needed it. Um, But one of the weirdest things about it is that you're watching a lot of times empty stadiums, right? Isn't that weird? I don't really like that experience of seeing empty stadiums, empty arenas. Um, I think it's odd because one of the strongest influences, in, the, in my opinion, in determining sort of the, the vitality of the game and, and potentially the outcome of the game is what's called home field advantage. Anybody, everybody knows what home field advantage is, right? Home field advantage, you're playing on your own turf. In 2011, Sports Illustrated wrote a research piece that said this, home field advantage is no myth. Indisputably, home field advantage exists across all sports at all levels, from Japanese baseball to Brazilian soccer to the NFL, the team hosting a game wins more often than not, right? That's home field advantage. And what I was surprised to read, though, was that home field advantage wasn't due to sort of the impact of the performance of the home team. It has almost nothing to do with the impact of the performance of the home team. The research shows that it's the influence of the crowd on the referees. 
Okay, the home team crowd influences the referees. This is what Sports Illustrated said. It said, officials biased is the most significant contribution to home field advantage. In short, the refs don't like to get booed. So when the game gets close, they call fewer fouls or penalties against the home team, or they call more strikes against visiting batters. Larger and louder fans really do influence the calls from the officials. The refs naturally and often unconsciously respond to the pressure from the crowd. Then they try to please the angry fans and make the calls that will lessen the pain of crowd disapproval. In the end, the ref's people-pleasing response can and does have an impact on the final result of the game. So it's not the cheers from the home crowd that makes a team do better. It's the boos from the crowd that makes the refs afraid to make a bad call. Psalm 1 is saying essentially the same thing. He says that the more we play on the other team's turf, the worse it's going to go for you. The more you set your thinking in the counsel of the wicked, the worse it's going to be for you. The more you stand in the in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers and take your cues from the world, from people who don't know and love God, the more you're going to be playing so that you don't get booed rather than so that you find the delight and favor of the Lord. One commentator put it this way. He says, it it may come in a rather subtle fashion from teachers or friends or family or spouses. They'll simply suggest that if you don't think this way, you will not be thought sharp. If you don't act this way, you will not be cool. And if you don't laugh at what we mock, we don't want any part of you. Psalm 1 is not merely a description, it is a warning, a sort of Old Testament Romans 12 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What we let into our lives will determine, to a large degree, the renewal we experience. Which is a good plug right now for community groups. You need not the counsel of the wicked in your life. You need the counsel of the godly in your life. You don't need to stand in the way of sinners. You need to stand next to the faithful. You don't need to sit in the seat of scoffers. You need to sit in the seat of those who are ready to praise Jesus and fix their eyes on Jesus and set their mind on things above where Jesus is. And you can do that most easy here at Trinity. Yeah, Sunday morning's great, but do it every week in the homes of the people that know you and love you. That's what... We need. But that's not all. Okay? There's more. Verse 2. This is the flip side. So there's one pathway um, to renewal, and that's avoiding what opposes God. Verse 2 gives us the flip side. He says, delight in and meditate on God's word. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I don't usually put those two things together in my mind, delight and law. I don't usually do that. I don't usually think of the law being something delightful. 
But the word used here uh, for the word law is Torah. And Torah is actually uh, very interestingly, originally, a Hebrew, uh, derived from a Hebrew uh, concept that means to throw something to hit its mark, like a javelin. So it is the law of the Lord. It is the Ten Commandments, but it's more than that. It's the whole scripture, really, and especially the Psalms. The law are words written to hit a mark. That means the scriptures are not words that you simply study, like you would for an exam. They are energies to be hurled at the heart like a javelin. Okay? God's words are designed to penetrate, to wound, to remove, to heal, to renew. Hebrews 4.12 says God's word is living and active. It's sharper than what? A sword. That's the concept here. The word of the Lord is living truth aimed to penetrate your heart, not to wound it, but to heal it, to bring renewal. Psalm 19 verse 7 says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? What does the law of the Lord do? It revives the soul. Psalm 19.7. Rick Warren, maybe you've heard of him. He puts it like this. He puts renewal in these words. He's so good with words. He said, the spirit of God works through the word of God to transform the children of God into the image of the son of God. I'll say it again. The spirit of God works through the word of God to transform the children of God into the image of the son of God. What does it mean to experience renewal? It means to be transformed into the image of Jesus. How does that happen? It happens when the Spirit and the Word come together. The Spirit takes the Word, He applies it to your heart, and He transforms you into the image of Jesus. Now, if I'm going to be honest, and I am going to be honest, this is the one place in this room you should be honest from the pulpit. So I'm being honest right now. Meditating on God's Word is difficult for me. Meditating on God's word is really hard because I'm programmed for efficiency. That's just, I, I'm mainly because I get distracted really easily. Um, I, but I want things to happen quickly. And I like my screens, okay? I like multiple screens. I like to be surrounded by screens. Maybe you like to be surrounded. By, I like to eat in restaurants that surround me with screens. Um, there's lots of them. Uh, but it seems like COVID season has actually made it even harder for me to focus, even harder to concentrate on one thing. God said the blessed man is the one who's able to delight in the law of the Lord. How does he do that? He does it by meditating day and night. He's able to focus. Psalm 1 says meditation is like pickles and pork butts, right? Meditation's like pickles and pork butts, right? You understand what I'm saying? You got to slow down. You can't just grab a cucumber and dunk it in the brine and make a pickle. It's got to sit in there. It's got to soak. It's got to. You can't just throw a pork butt in the microwave. It's got to smoke. It's got to sit in there a long time. That's what meditation is. If you're like me, let me encourage you to slow down when it comes to the Word of God. Slow down. Start by opening it up and praying, God, put me in a posture to even 
be present as I'm reading these words. Wash over me a fewer amount of words that you would drive into my heart to change my life more than countless pages that I don't even remember. That's meditation. Meditation slows down. It reads carefully. It rereads. It reads out loud. It reads with a pen in its hand. It reads while it sings. It memorizes. It reads with other people who you can talk it through. It reads with a plan. It reads with a community group. Another plug. Let me encourage you with the phrase. He says, he says blessed is the man who meditates day and night. Anybody here feel like they meditate day and night? That's a hard word. This guy, the blessed one, meditates day and night. That phrase, day and night, means this isn't something that just happens to you. You have to be intentional. You've got to decide to go on a consistent basis, whether you feel like it or not, whether it's difficult or easy. You've got to choose to do it. You've got to to change your desires. You've got to delight, he says. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. This is what the blessed man does. So often, though, we come to the scriptures and it's not a delight. Can I get an amen? It's not a delight. It's work. It's sometimes a slog to get through God's word and understand what is even happening and why it's important for me. But the hope is your delight can increase your experience and pleasure in the Word of God and the renewal that you get through the Word of God can increase. It's just like when you go on a diet or when you start working out, right? When you first get on that diet, it's the same principle. You start, you start with a covenant community, you and your workout partner. You make commitments to you know, getting it done. You, you start these exercises and habits and activities of eating and working out that you hope will change you. And it's painful. Leg day is painful. Jelly knees walking down the stairs. It's hard. But day two, you get on it and you do it again. And day three, you do it again. And day four, you do it again. And over time, it slowly changes your desires to where you used to be a person that couldn't even think about spinach and kale. You couldn't even imagine putting that in your body. You couldn't imagine doing squats and lunges and enjoying it and feeling good about it and actually longing for it. But over time, your desires change. Your desires change and your system just flourishes in a way that it didn't before. And just with learning any habit or practice, meditation is going to take time. Meditating on God's word is going to take time. A tree doesn't spring up overnight, even if it's planted by streams of water. You can plant a tree by a stream of water and it will not shoot up overnight. It takes time. If you want to be an oak of righteousness, a tree planted by streams of water that is productive and, and vital, it's going to take time. If you want to be a squash for the Lord, you can give it six months. You can be a squash. You can be a cu- cucumber for the Lord. You want to be an oak? It's going to take time, day and night. Paul encouraged the Corinthian church with these words, and he gives them these words because he knows you're going to get discouraged. The work of the Lord is hard, meditating, delighting, 
on the Lord in the midst of all that's going on. The days are evil. It's not easy. Paul says, brothers and sisters, stand firm. You imagine that tree? Stand firm. Let nothing move you by streams of water. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I promise you, if you meditate on the law of the Lord, if you make that your system in life to experience the renewal of God, that labor will not return in vain. It will not come back void. That's a promise. Okay, so there we go. There's the picture of renewal. We've seen the pathway of renewal and the posture. What are we going to do with that? The posture of renewal. Because renewal isn't something you can just conjure up. Anybody who's married, when you look to your spouse and you say, relax, do they relax? (laughs) Mine doesn't. I've learned that lesson. You can't just force someone to relax. You have to take a posture of relaxation before you can begin to experience relaxation. Renewal isn't something that can be conjured up. You can't force it. If I told you to be renewed, what are you going to do? What would you do? You can't really do anything. Jamie Smith, in his book, Imagining the Kingdom, has a little section that I think is really insightful, and listen to this closely. He calls it catching sleep. Here's what he says. I cannot choose to fall asleep. The best I can do is choose to put myself in a posture and rhythm that welcomes sleep. I lie down in bed on my left side with my knees drawn up. I close my eyes and breathe slowly, putting my plans out of my mind. But the power of my consciousness stops there. I want to go to sleep, and I've chosen to climb in bed. But in another sense, sleep is not something under my control or at my beck and call. I call up the visitation of sleep by imitating the breathing and posture of a sleeper. There is a moment when sleep comes, settling on this imitation of itself, which I have been offering to it, and I succeed in becoming what I was trying to be. Sleep is a gift to be received, not a decision to be made. And yet it is a gift that requires a posture of reception, a kind of active welcome. You see where we're going here? Sleep is a gift to be received, not a decision to be made. It requires a posture of reception. And then he asks the question, what if spiritual renewal had the same dynamic? What if Christian practices posture us to be filled and renewed? So if we can't trigger renewal, and we know that God's heart is for renewal, how are we going to experience renewal? We put ourselves in the way of it. You posture yourself with a kind of active welcome. We ask God to bring it, and we put ourselves in the way of it. Oftentimes, Paul, the apostle Paul will say, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, Paul, how do I do that? Paul's just saying, imagine water coming down. You're the cup. Be filled with it. You got to get under there. You got to posture yourself in a way to be filled by the Spirit. You got to have gratitude. You got to sing to the Lord with songs. You got to encourage one another. 
You can't manipulate renewal, but you can put yourself in the way of it. And this is where it gets really practical. What would it look like to build habits together, whether that's with your mates or community group? What would it look like to build habits together that would allow us to make God's word the primary shaping influence in our lives? We want to put ourselves in a posture of renewal. That means we want to put ourselves before the Lord in meditation on his word and trying to stoke the fires of our hearts so that we can delight in his law, so that we can be encouraged and assured of his love for us, his grace for us, the peace we have in Christ, so that we're not tempted by the ways of the wicked. We're not, and we're not tempted to stand with the sinners because we know that we stand with Christ. We're not tempted to sit in the seat of scoffers because we know that Jesus scorned all that so that we could have life. We could experience renewal. Super practical. How do I meditate? This is baseline stuff. Let me just give you some really practical stuff here. First thing, this is a thing that I've been working on. I'm not great at it. I told you, I love screens. First thing, scripture before screens in the morning. Scripture before screens. There's a book that was written by a guy named Justin Early called The Common Rule. And he suggests this practice of reading scripture before you look at your phone in the morning or before you turn on the news. There's nothing to see on the news anyway. He writes, refusing to check the phone until after reading a passage of scripture is a way of replacing the question of what do I need to do today with a better one? Who am I and who am I becoming? You ask that question, you're on the road to meditation. When you read the scriptures, who am I and who am I becoming? We have no stable identity outside of Jesus, he says. Daily immersion in the scriptures resists the anxiety of emails, the anger of news, and the envy of social media. Instead, it forms us daily in our true identity as children of the King, dearly loved. Amen? Scripture before screens, okay? That's one very practical way. It's simple, but I think it's profound. The next one, learn and practice biblical meditation. Psalm 1, learn and practice biblical meditation. This one's a little bit harder, um, but it can be put into practice in your own life. You can do this personally. You can do this with your family. You can do this with your community group. And here's an easy way to do it. And I think this little practice will transform the way you see the Sunday gathering. It's also going to transform your daily walk with the Lord. It's also going to potentially transform how your community group interacts with Scripture. And it's this, think of The Sunday liturgy here at Trinity, you notice the shape of the liturgy. It's the same every week. It's the shape of the gospel. And run each scripture or passage you read through that form. And let it do its work in your heart and propel you toward action. This is what I mean by that. You read a particular passage of scripture, ask yourself, how is this word or how is this passage or how is this promise calling me to worship. And in light of what I see about God's heart, in light of what I know about my own, is there any error for me to avoid here? Is there any sin that I should forsake here? Is there anything I need to confess? Any passage of Scripture. And then move from confession, ask yourself, is there any promise of assurance for me to claim here? What can I claim here? And then ask yourself, am I living in light of this? 
Am I living in light of this peace? How should I respond to this particular teaching that I'm reading? And if I believed and held to this, how would that change things in my life? Another way to ask that, am I actually taking this seriously? And then finally, if and when I forget this, how does that affect me? And how will that affect my relationships? Each of these questions works through the liturgy that we do here on a Sunday morning and points us to the grace and renewal that is ours in Christ Jesus. And it reminds us at the end, if I forget this, how will that affect me in my relationships? And it ends with a benediction, which is what? A good word for the road. Benediction, a blessing for the road. A blessing for the blessed one. Jesus is the only one who's always delighted in the word. He's the only one who's always meditated on the law of the Lord day and night. He's the only one who knew no sin. He's the only one who there was no deceit. He was tempted and resisted every time. He never sat in the seat of scoffers. He fully embodied the tree planted by the stream of water that bore fruit in every season and whose leaf didn't wither. And so when you forget that word or when you forsake that word, he's never going to give you up. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to run around and desert you. He knew you would struggle. He knew you would fail, and he paved the way anyway. Hebrews calls Jesus the pioneer and perfecter, the pioneer and champion of our faith. So you don't have to read Psalm 1, and if you're a Christian, you shouldn't read Psalm 1 and feel shame about falling short of not meditating like you should, not delighting in the law of the Lord like you should, not experiencing the renewal that you think you should be experiencing. Because we all go through seasons. The tree planted by streams of water doesn't bear fruit in every season. It bears fruit in its season. Jesus knows that. He says, don't feel shame about that. But because of Jesus, we can read Psalm 1 and worship a Savior whose death and resurrection represent the grace that makes renewal possible. Jesus is both the tree and the stream of living water. He's the example of our salvation. He's also the source of our salvation. The grace that allows us to walk with the Lord, even as we stumble. Because you're going to stumble. You've already stumbled. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You can have renewal. Let me close with this word from the Apostle Paul from Colossians 2. He says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflow with gratitude. Overflow with gratitude for what Jesus has done. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. 
He took a cup of wine, and he says, this wine represents my blood, the cup of the new covenant that Jesus was about to shed for them. And what happens then is Jesus gives the bread, and he gives the wine to his disciples, and he says, take and eat. Take and eat. Jesus is the example. He's also the source. There's no salvation. There's no blessedness apart from take and eat. You have to take Christ to experience the blessedness, to experience the renewal that God has for you. And so every week here at Trinity, uh, we practice this thing we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, You'll see tables in the back. We have the table in the back there. Um, whatever, the east side that I'm pointing over there, you will see find cups of wine and crackers. On that table over there, you will find cups of juice and crackers, whatever your conscience permits. If you're a Christian here today at Trinity, we invite you to join with us, to celebrate, to overflow with gratitude, Paul says in Colossians 2, because we've been rooted in Christ. We've been blessed in Jesus and so the way that we do that is they're gonna, the sound team's going to come up and play, and then you go to the back, and you would take the cup, bring it back to your seat, uh, whether the wine or the juice, bring it back to your seat. When the song is, is over, then together uh, we'll take the elements. If you're not a believer, we would encourage you not to take uh, the cup, not to take the elements, but in t- instead to take Christ. Tap into the living water that Jesus offers through his shed blood and broken body and the resurrection, the new life that you can experience. If you don't follow Christ, we would encourage you to take Christ. If you want to talk to somebody about that, come find me or one of the people that have been up here this morning. We'd be happy to talk to you. And next week, uh, join you, join with you and overflowing with gratitude as we celebrate communion together. Let me pray.